We read today from the first letter of John, the fourth chapter. We love because He first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. The commandment we have from Him is this. Those who love God must also love their brothers. This is the word of the Lord. A couple of months ago, I was reading an article in the Wall Street Journal, and it was entitled, I'm Very, Very, Very Sorry. It was a group of psychologists who had gotten together and conducted this huge study interviewing hundreds of people to come to understand the art of apology. How often do we apologize, and to whom do we apologize? What they discovered was that on the average, you and I apologize sincerely four times a week. Four times a week, you and I tend to apologize. The interesting thing was, we apologize 46% of the time to friends. We apologize 26% of the time to, our, to strangers. And we apologize 7% of the time to family. And I thought, we will apologize three times more often to strangers than we do to our own family. How often we forget what it means to be kind, to love, to those that we are closest to. We will apologize to a stranger three times more often than our own family. I've been reading a fascinating book by a lady named Kate Braestrup. Kate Braestrup wrote a book entitled Marriage and Other Acts of Charity. Kate, it turns out, is a chaplain for the game wardens in Maine. Her husband is a state trooper for the state of Maine, and she tells about how they got married very young. And when they got married, they were so in love and so happy. Nine years went by, and they had four children. He worked for as a state trooper. She was a stay-at-home mom and a writer. But as the years went by, they began to fight. They had enough money. Finally, they didn't have to stretch every dime, but... They had lost the joy. And when I say fight, I mean fight. It, I'm talking about pencil breaking, door slamming, cup breaking, hollering fighting. And it was every day. And finally, Kate said, I've had enough. They went to go get some counseling. They went for several months. And at the end of that time, nothing was better. And she said, I want a divorce. Drew couldn't believe he was going to lose his childhood sweetheart. It was about a week after she had asked for the divorce that she was having to correct the two children, the smallest little girl and then a little boy, and she was getting down and talking to them and said to her little girl, Look, you're going to have to learn how to love your brother. She said, I'll never forget. Her lip began to quiver, and she said, I don't know how to love my brother. She said, It's like a lightning bolt that hit me. And I thought, I don't know how to love my husband. I don't know how to love Drew. He didn't tell me what he needs. He didn't tell me what he wants. He's a state trooper. He holds it all in. I don't know how to love him. And then the thought occurred to her, maybe I ought to start to try loving him the way that I would want him to love me if I was in his place. She thought, ooh, that sounds good. I need to go write that down. And she went and she wrote it down, and then she read it back to herself, and she thought, well, good Lord, I've just rediscovered the golden rule. To love someone as you would wish to be loved? 
she started looking at how she was loving Drew, and she said, I realized I wasn't doing a thing for Drew that I would want him to do for me. I wasn't doing anything. The next day she was in church, it was on a Sunday, and they were singing hymns about a love, how God loved them and they loved God. And she said, I started to bawl. I suddenly realized God loves me, and I'm saying I love God, and I don't know how to love my husband. She decided it was time for Remedial Love 101. She was going to try something different, and she got the chance the very next day. The next night, she was asleep up in bed. When Drew got in, it was about 3 a.m. He had been on the night shift. And when he got in, um, she was there. She was sleeping, and, and uh, uh, he came in and said, Come down, Kate, it's the fish. The fish? Yeah, it's the fish. The kids have poured something into the aquarium, and the fish are going to die if we don't clean the aquarium tonight. And she thought to herself, I don't care about those fish. She said, We don't have designer fish. We have goldfish. They cost about two ninety nine. In the old days, I would have said, let them die. But I knew my husband loved those fish. And I thought, I love my husband. So she said, I got up and I went downstairs and we got these one-gallon buckets and we started dipping out the water out of this 30-gallon tank. We cleaned the tank. We cleaned the rocks. We cleaned the fish. We put them back in. And I did it with a smile. And I could tell the whole time my husband was looking at me thinking, what have the space aliens done with my wife? Who is this woman? I said, we got through and we went back upstairs and we went to bed. My husband was so happy and I felt happy. And I thought it took an hour and a half of my life. Was it worth it? You bet it was. We forget how to love and how to be kind to those that we love the most. We're three times more likely to apologize to a stranger than we are to our own family. It made me think about our scripture lesson. In our scripture lesson, we're reading from the first letter of John. Now, we know that this letter was probably written near the end of the first century. We know that the author never gives his name. In second and third John, he calls himself the elder. But the language is very much like the gospel of John and the theology, and we think they may have been of the same pen. What we know is this really is more of a sermon, a treatise to the early church. Jesus and all of his disciples have died. And then Paul and those who helped him start the church have died. And now we are kind of another generation. And as these people now are in the church, they're starting to debate doctrine and dogma, and they're beginning to argue. And John writes this letter to the church to say, let's go back and remember the basics. Let's remember the fundamental and what is important. You have first been loved by Christ. And we who have been loved by God, well, we're called to love our brothers. If you say you love God and you hate your brother, I've got to tell you, you're a liar. How can you love your, uh, your uh, God whom you've not seen if you can't love your brother whom you have seen? No, the fundamental is to come back and what does it mean to love one another? How do we do that? How do we do that? That's what I want us to think about this morning, to remember that fundamental calling. And I, I just want to share with you two things. First of all, remember, everybody fights a battle. Everybody hides a hurt. We all put on a face and look good. Everybody hides a hurt. I was 19 when I went out and took my first little country church. Marsha was 18. We had just gotten married. 
serving out these three little churches. And I tell you, I was so very anxious and afraid when I went out there. I mean, I was trying so hard to, to preach well. I was 19 years old. I was reading Charles Allen, Harry Emerson Fosdick. I was reading J. Wallace Hamilton, trying to find all this theology. And then through the life experience of a 19-year-old to bring the gospel. I was 19. The next youngest person in the church was 60. And all these people who are in their 60s, they looked like they were happy and they had it together and life was good. And I, I, I just looked at all of them and I, I thought, why am I here? These people don't have any problems. They don't have any problems. I went to Miss Lenormand. She was our organist and she was a saint in the church. She was an incredible lady. And I went to Miss Lenormand and I sat down and I said, I don't know why anybody comes to church. I'm trying to proclaim a word of hope and the gospel, and nobody has any problems. And Miss Lenormand looked at me with those understanding eyes, and she said, Oh, Bob, we all have problems. We're just being very careful not to let you see. That's 40 years ago, and I remember it like it was today. I've watched as I was there for the next couple of years, and they did all have problems and hurts in their life. I started watching as, as time went on, and I could see wherever I've gone for the last 40 years. No matter how happy people look, and no matter how strong and secure, everybody's fighting a battle. Everybody hides a hurt. We, the disciples of Jesus Christ, know that Christ has first loved us. And if Christ has first loved us, and we know that everybody hides a hurt, then we will go out of our way to be kind which is the second thing. Understand you have the power to bless life. You have the power to bless life. When you look at the people around you and you know that they hide or hurt, you can choose to be kind. It's the kind of thing that it isn't hard, it isn't expensive. It's really all about you and I remembering the fundamentals of what's the most important to see the need of another and to be willing to love because Christ has first loved us. Tom Mackey was a fascinating man. He was born up in Delaware. He was eight years old when he finally got to go to a football game. He went to go to the Philadelphia Eagles and he saw the Denver Broncos playing. And there he saw Floyd Little. Floyd Little, back in 1974, African-American, running back for the Denver Broncos. He was a superstar. And now Tom Mackey was a white kid, eight years old. But somehow he related to this superstar in the NFL. He got to reading more and more about him. And what he found was that, that he was someone who had lost his father when he was young. Tom Mackey lost his father when he was young. He just related and he became his hero. He gave him encouragement. He inspired him. Well, the years went by and Tom Mackey got married. He didn't get married till he was 37. He married a girl named Emily. She loved him very much, and when Tom was going to turn 40, she wanted to do something special for him. So what she decided to do for him was to see if she couldn't hook him up with his boyhood idol. She got online, and she found Floyd Little. He owned a car dealership in West Covina, California. And so she made a call out to the dealership, one other transfer, and she was talking to Floyd Little. She said, if I flew my husband out there, on his 40th birthday, would you spend 30 minutes talking to him? You're his hero. Floyd Little was about to change his life because he decided to be kind, and he said yes. 
So on his 40th birthday, suddenly Emily hands him these, a picture, and it's a Floyd Little and two tickets, and says, suck up your gut, you're going to go meet your hero. They hopped on a plane, and they flew out to California, and soon they walked in, and there was Floyd Little. He didn't say, come sit down for 30 minutes. No, he said, let's go to lunch. They talked for the next two and a half hours, laughing and talking, football. They hit it off. And when it came to the end, Tom Mackey said, Floyd, how come you're not in the Hall of Fame? It's the greatest injustice in the NFL. You have such statistics. What he didn't know, he had just touched on Floyd Little's greatest hurt. He would always hide it, acted like it was no big deal, he didn't care, never said anything to anyone. It was killing him. He had never been nominated. Tom Mackey said, I'm going to fix that. He was in marketing and advertising. He went back home and he started writing stories about Floyd Little to send to newspapers so people started talking about him again. You remember he got announced and mentioned in the Democratic Convention out in Denver. Tom Mackey was raising his name up everywhere he went. He wrote a pamphlet, 44 Reasons to Elect Number 44 to the Hall of Fame. Sent it to all the people who'd be voting. And in 2004, they knew it would happen. No nomination. He kept on working, but nothing in 05, 06, 07, 08. But Tom Mackey wouldn't quit. And in 09, Floyd Little got a phone call saying, you've been nominated. And that February they announced, you've been elected. If you watched a year ago when the induction of the Hall of Fame, it was such an incredible special time. They, they brought out Floyd Little, and his son gave the introduction. And, oh, his son was so elegant, and you could see the love for his father. And Floyd Little came out on stage, and when he did, he said, first thing I want to say is thank you to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who through all these years has given me strength. Secondly, I want to thank my son. He's my best friend. And then he thanked his wife and his kids, and he went through it. And then in the end, he said, and most of all today, I want to thank Tom Mackey. I never had imagined how in 2003 when I got a call from a little lady on the East Coast telling me that I was her husband's hero, that my life was going to change. Tom, you have said that I am your hero, but I want to tell you, you're my hero. The next day, Tom Mackey got a thank you note in the mail. It said, thank you, Tom, I'm living the dream. The next day, he got another thank you note. Thank you, this is so special. The next day, another thank you note. 44 days in a row, he got a thank you note. Tom, you're my hero. And I looked at these two men and I thought both were fighting a battle. Both were hiding a hurt. But when you look into the heart of someone and you find you can be kind, it is not hard, it is not expensive, but it blesses life. We who have been first loved by Christ, we who say we love God, we are the ones who know that everybody is struggling. So let us love. What I want to ask out of you this week, Boston Avenue, why not focus on those that are closest to you? Those that you're supposed to love the most. We are three times more likely to apologize to a stranger than to a member of our own family. What if you and I started by loving those that we are closest to? 
You know, Mother Teresa had people who would come from all over the world to her missions. She would come, they would come and they would help. And she made an interesting observation about everybody who came. She said, it's easy to love people who are far away. It's not always easy to love those who are close to us. It's easier to get a cup of rice to relieve hunger than to relieve the loneliness and pain of someone in our own home. We who have been loved by Christ, we who say we love God, may we start this week by loving those who are closest to us. After Kate had had an epiphany with the uh, fish tank, things changed at home. She and Drew didn't get divorced. Actually, they began having a better time than they'd ever had before. Life was different. The love was rekindled. They began to laugh and to love. And the next year, their marriage was the best that they'd ever had. But about a year later, Drew was out working in his patrol car, parked on the side of the road, when an 18-wheeler began to skid out of control and hit his car. And Drew was killed. And suddenly, Kate became a widow of four very young children. She said it was about a year after Drew had died that her oldest son, Zach, was starting to reflect on his dad in the past. And one day he said, Mom, when I was really young, you and Dad used to fight. I mean, you used to fight and holler and scream and slam doors, and i got to tell you, Mom, it was scary. It was scary. I'm sorry, Zach. I'm really sorry. But, Mom, one day it stopped. I mean, one day it just stopped, and it never happened again. What happened? Well, Zachy, I started to love your dad like I hoped he would love me. I mean, Zach, you know the Bible tells us that we have been first loved by God. And so now you and I are supposed to love other people. We're supposed to love as many people as we can, as long as we can, as often as we can, as often as we can. She was getting enthusiastic, and little Zachy got caught up in the moment. He said, I can do it, Mom. I can do it. I can love like that. I can love like that. I can love even an axe murderer. And Kate looked at her little nine-year-old son and all of his enthusiasm and said, That's great, Zach. But how about we start with your little sister? 